gigawatts of power through an enterprise we just have to run it at 66 miles per hour and slingshot around the sun we need at, at warp 88 at a warp 88 i can't believe they fucking did it i cannot yep. believe futurama was just parroting a straight up star trek yep. episode this is all all of it i cannot mm-hmm. believe I did not know this episode existed. And I also can't believe that I essentially called it last week as well. Yep. Just based on a matter of time being the name of it. I'm like, well, are we time traveling? And also, this just explains why they're so casual about it in Star Trek IV, uh, Mm -hmm. Voyage Home, because they've done it before. They're just like, oh, yeah. Oh, did we slingshot back in time again? Like, oh, again. this is a thing that happens, you know. And I, I'm pretty sure they do call, they do reference that within the film itself. But yeah, I, Emily, oh my God, Emily, let's get into this episode. Tomorrow is yesterday. Tomorrow is yesterday. Tomorrow is yesterday by DC Fontana. Directed by Michael O'Hurley. Uh, and in fact, Missy, you might recall, this is actually the second time we've seen the Enterprise go back in time. Do you remember the first? Oh my god. Yeah, when they were doing... what? what there was a loop, and what was it that was involved, though? I know, essentially, they went back to before they did everything... Was that the one with the virus? I don't remember. Yeah. It was the one with the virus. Okay. Also, the I call this a matter time. of time twice because that's the Stargate episode. Ah. Distortion. I know this is called Tomorrow is Yesterday, but it just it seems like this should be called a matter of time as well. It easily could. Um, but yeah, this was in the naked time, as you'll remember at the end. They, they slingshot towards the sun and go back two days. Uh, to repeat, I guess, the previous two days. But originally, this episode was going to be the second of that two-part episode. They were supposed to slingshot back in time and end up in the fucking 60s on Earth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was the thing that I didn't... The the connection that I wasn't make at the time, which I knew that this was before the moon landing. Mm-hmm. I also knew that when they were traveling back, that they were traveling back in time. 
What I didn't realize is that they were traveling to a contemporary time until they said, oh, basically the moonshot's happening. And I'm like, oh, that's right. Yeah. They can't even reference any of the people who landed on the moon because it literally hadn't fucking happened yet. Yep. Yep. But they were pretty on point with their prediction because uh, it happened like just a couple years later. Yeah. So they're like, oh, yes, the 60s, when this will happen. Um. So, yeah, this was supposed to be the second part of a two-part episode that we already saw the first of. So just when you watch this, think Sulu was just shirtless running through the halls of the Enterprise trying to stab people with a saber. That would make sense why Kirk takes him down to the planet because he's like, I know you've got the moves. You'll be able to help me out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. With all this old weaponry, old style weaponry, um... But before we get started, I wanted to do a little bit of background on the writer for this episode. That's right. It's DC Fontana. Yay. Dorothy Fontana, former secretary to Gene Roddenberry. And it was during the writing of this episode that she officially like sat down and was like, I want to be a fucking secretary uh, and became a full time like writer. Incredible. Um. So she was born in Sussex, Sussex, Sussex. She was born in New Jersey, Texas, also known as Just Texas. (laughs) Um, She decided at the age of 11, she wanted to be a novelist and wrote little stories, horror stories with her and her friends. Um, She then graduated with an associate degree as an executive secretarial major. So she studied secretarying at school um and started working uh as a secretary for the writer samuel a peoples who wrote an episode of star trek yes so i don't remember which one okay i was just gonna say i remember the name but i can't think of it off the top of my head either we get thrown so many names in this it just unless they're recurring sometimes they do not stick even the name of an episode exactly. I literally just saw sometimes doesn't say Oh, Where No Man Has Gone Before. Oh, he wrote Where No Man Has Gone Before. Yes. yes. So she worked as his secretary for a little while um, and then started working on The Lieutenant, of course. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, and that's when she also started writing under the pen name DC Fontana because people weren't picking up her fucking scripts because they had a woman's name on them. Uh, much similar to notorious turf jk rowling precisely uh thankfully she is uh, well hopefully not a turf i have no idea but i'm gonna say no because i want to um and then one day uh gene roddenberry's secretary got sick so she filled in and became his secretary um she also wrote her first novel uh brazos river with Harry Stanford. It's a Western. After the lieutenant was canceled, she went with Ron Barry to work on Star Trek. Um, and following the encouragement from Robert Justman, uh, because she had been working on the show since the beginning, he was like, you should have Dorothy write scripts like Ron Barry, like give them to DC Fontana, like give them to her. So he did. Uh, thankfully i love these i love these right time right place stories that happen right that's hollywood baby yeah 
Um, and so she had she wrote the first teleplay uh, for the day Charlie became God, which became Charlie X. And as we remember, uh, women were written. Women period were written <laughs> versus every other script. Um, although that was an adapted story, she also wrote "Tomorrow Is Yesterday" from her own idea. Justin says that it was his idea like just the the kernel of it and then mm -hmm. she like wrote it um That's but who cares yeah yeah exactly like she wrote it um by the middle of the first season steve carabastos the story editor had already left and john dia flack was also looking to leave so roddenberry gave her more tasks to rewrite episodes including this side of paradise which was the first one i ever saw uh Ron Bear and the network loved her work and she became the new story editor instead of his secretary in September 1966. That is very cool. Mm -hmm. Leonard Nimoy credits her with expanding Vulcan culture within Star Trek um, and also said that he felt that unusually among Star Trek's writers, Fontana was able to write believable female characters who were fully developed in the screenplay. That, wow, I, I, you know, I wonder why I couldn't tell you why a woman would write women better why? than men. I wonder, I wonder. Um, when work on Star Trek: The Next Generation began, Roddenberry asked her back to join the team, um, and she pitched some story ideas, including the idea for the pilot. Of the next generation, encounter at Fairpoint. Oh, I actually don't know what happens in the pilot of Next Generation. I mean, don't tell me, but that's interesting. Yeah. That she was the one who did that. Yeah. She was also offered the story editor position there, but she wanted to be an associate producer, which was a little difficult because she was with the Writers Guild of America. And so contractually, he could only ask her to do certain things, oh. but she offered to do those things yeah, yeah, and yeah. wanted to do those things. So he did ask her to do them. Um, and eventually she got the associate producer position, okay. sort of in addition to the story editor position. Um, Lewin said that this fight caused resentment between Fontana and Roddenberry, and she left during the first season. We also know that Roddenberry was starting to really lose it at oh. that point. He was a much older guy, and a lot of those tendencies that he had, those sexist tendencies, those perhaps homophobic tendencies, sort of the, the underlying bubbling stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. was coming up. And we know that she was like hella not cool with that. Um, and yeah, her relationship with Roddenberry became so strained prior to, prior to her leaving, she began to tape record her conversations with oh, him. Oh, you like, never want to get to the point where you're tape recording bad. conversations with a boss. Mm -hmm. That's you, that you've got, you've basically gotten the point of no return. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. After she left, she had to put in a claim with the WGA that she had also worked as a story editor on the series, which she was never paid for. And which she definitely did. Like, that was the job that she did in addition to associate producing. Did she get the credit for it? It was eventually said it was settled amicably with Paramount Television. So I'm assuming she just got a bunch of money. Oh, I guess. Uh, which is fair. Like, she deserves the credit. At least she's remembered in history. Yes, as oh, for that. sure. Um, 
she served on the board of of the WGA between 1988 and 1990 and 1991 and 1993. She was awarded the Morgan Cox Award for services to the Guild in 2002 and was inducted into the American Screenwriters Association. She got to the Hall of Fame twice. Yeah, in 1997 and 2002. I love that when she was, and, and not to say that she was just doing it just to do it, but the fact that she got so involved in like the producers mm-hmm. guild like she was serious about it and was like yeah no like mm-hmm. it, it, it that is just a very nice success story for a yeah. woman during a time when it was i'm sure unusual for her to take the track yep. that she did yeah she was one of the only women who was writing for nbc uh one of the only women writing at the time and she was just fucking fantastic at it Every one of the episodes she wrote end up being my favorite episodes. I mean, uh, this one is quite this one is quite incredible. Not to, not to tilt yes. my hand too early, but this one is a is a good one to have under your belt. It is. This was the first semi-comical script for Star Trek, and it's because of her and Gene Alcoon. Like they were the ones doing all the work on on this script. He loved comedy. She loved comedy. All the comedy ideas all came from her. Um, and did they commission the yeah. comedy soundtrack that came at certain points within this? Right. I could not handle the outright sitcom musical stings that would underline certain moments. Just, it's one of those things. Like, it you. There is an interesting tension between, like, comedian and comedy people and, like, comedy music. Some people just hate the idea of, quote, comedy music. It's like, well, the comedy should just be comedy. You shouldn't have to have music to underline, oh, we're doing I something silly and funny. Music. But I love it because it's just so circusy, And it so, is. especially in this where we had stings that were, like, um, violins, you know, increasing the tension. Like, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. And then on parts, it was like, boop, 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 boom, boom, boom. And you're like, oh, yes, of course. But you're right. I wondered if this was the first attempt to do outright comedy. So I'm in because mm-hmm. it, it felt like that had to be. So yeah, oh, yeah. I'm that's interested that I like that connection. I like that you've connected those two things together. And it wasn't just me feeling something. Yeah. Um certain parts of the music was written by composer Joseph uh Mullendor. Uh, which he actually wrote during the scoring of Conscience of the King, but didn't end up using. Oh. So I'm not sure if specifically that comedy, like Splash, that we hear a million times in this episode and a million times going forward was him. Um, but I do know that part of it, including a very jazzy version of the Star Trek theme song as yeah. we see a female uh, person crew member walking by um that was Melindor, and we're going to hear more of that in court martial coming up during like a cocktail party so (laughs) i'll listen for that remix of the theme i hope everyone else does too yes uh so why don't we go ahead and get right into this episode huh you know what Mm, sure 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 we open on earth we're at an air force base it's 1969 we we can recognize this because we recognize the sh- those airships right 
we're people of the modern age and I know that it's the 60s. Uh, definitely. I didn't think that it might possibly be the late 40s. Right. <laughs> um, but we're at an Air Force base. We see some ships going by, planes going by. I'm calling them ships like they're fucking planes. <laughs> um, and there's a technician who notices something on the radar. At first, they're concerned it's an enemy aircraft because mm-hmm. the signal is over a base in Omaha, Nebraska. But the strange part is it just appeared. Like, it just appeared in the sky out of nowhere. Uh, Interested in the strange appearance, uh, the commanding officer is like, hey, send someone up there to go see what the fuck it is. Because we could have a real UFO on our hands. Um, So in the sky, we see, so outside we see an F-104 Starfighter launch. Of course, you know the F-104 Starfighter right missy yes that was the one that launched at the beginning of this episode yeah I, everyone knows this um yep, exactly and then we look in the sky and what do we see but the uss enterprise dangling like a cloud do, 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 do. captain's log subjective time they give like their star date and then say it's subjective yeah. time we were en route Starbase 9 for resupply when a black star of high gravitational attraction began to drag us towards it. Um, and a black star is what they were, they were referring to a black hole. But the word black hole hadn't become like, you know, uh, the you common know what's funny? I I filled in the gap with black hole and I assumed black star might be the name for a certain type of black hole. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't make that connection that no, that's just what they were called then. Mm-hmm. Um, or it was like, they would call like a couple of things, different things, but it just mm-hmm. that black holes hadn't been, but they're talking about a black hole. It required all warp power in reverse to pull us away, but snapping like a rubber band, the breakaway sent us plunging through space out of control to stop here wherever we are. We see everyone's picking themselves off the ground in the Enterprise. Chairs are all over the place. Once again, we have no seatbelts in the future. Uh, Absolutely none. The wall screens, like the screens above Uhura's desk, are wrinkled. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, it was weird. And apparently, except for their secondary systems, everything is operational. They're on impulse power. Scott is like, I have the auxiliary power on. Kirk is like, tell me about all your casualties. Report them to First Officer Spock. Uhura, contact Star Control. All the things you do when you are shot like a rubber band around a dark star. Then they realize that um, there's there's no casualties. They have impulse power and they're in orbit over Earth. Yeah, strange. What, what what are they doing here? And we're also at super low orbit. We're like right on top of the damn thing. We're like basically in the atmosphere. And Kirk is like, get us up, please. Uh can we can we not can we up? Uh and Sulu glad, is like, sure. I'm glad they transport I'm glad they transported us to a narratively convenient location, mm-hmm. but let's get somewhere a bit more stealthy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Sulu is like, I'm, I'm getting it, but it's a little sluggish. And that's when Uhura reports, they 
aren't getting any results. They're not getting any responses from Starfleet. But they're getting another frequency. And so she puts it on. A ground-to-air transmission. Ground-to-air. They put it on. And it's a radio broadcast about the first moonshot. The first manned moonshot. To take place on Wednesday. They don't say yeah, what day on Wednesday or what year. They're just like, on Wednesday, we're going to the moon. Kirk is like, that took place in the late 1960s. And Kirk is like, I see. We must have been thrown back in time. That's, yeah, yeah. That's when Uhura reports she is picking up another transmission. More ground-to-air transmissions. There is a military craft approaching the Enterprise very fast. Uh, The craft is gaining. It's like saying back, it's like, I'm gaining on the UFO, which is the Enterprise. And Kirk is like, Sulu, up, 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 up. Like, up as fast as we can go. We are in the 60s. Uh, Blue J4, that's the name of the ship, is like, the UFO is going, is climbing, and I'm going to go closer. And it gets close enough for visual contact. So he's like, what the fuck is this? It starts describing what he's seeing. Basically a cylindrical thing in the air and it's a UFO. Uh, I do want to point out that Kirk does just say we're in the 60s. Yeah. They don't say the 1960s. It's like, we're in the 60s. Yeah. (laughs) Which has made me laugh because I'm like, oh, people in centuries ago still call that specific era of the 1900s the 60s. Yep. Fuck the 1860s. Fuck the 2060s. Mm-hmm. It's all about the 1960s. Um, so the army people are like, all right, well, if you're going to, you know, not be able to follow this UFO anymore, you should probably just shoot it down. Just shoot at it. Yeah. Shoot at the UFO. You know. That won't cause any issues. Hey, there's this Jew, ju- there's this giant honker of a ship up <laughs> here. What should we do? Oh, just ground it. And, you know, where could it land? Nothing bad. No, no, it'll be fine. Just shoot at it. Just try and shoot it down. Spock is like, that aircraft might have nuclear warheads. And given our condition, that, like, would not be good for us. Uh, So Kirk is like, Scott, lock onto the ship with a tractor beam. And Spock is like, we probably shouldn't. Spock was right. As soon as we lock on with the tractor beam, we're like, oh, actually, that ship cannot hold up to the tractor beam. And we're going to kill whoever is inside there. Like, this isn't just keeping the ship away so it can't shoot at us. We are murdering now. It's like as if you took a model airplane and tried to put it in the air. And then saw the impact afterwards and we're like, what would that look like? That's what's happening to this plane. Breaking apart. Um, and that's when Kirk is like, well, we can't murder. Let's beam whoever is in that ship aboard. Beam them up. And I personally will go greet them in the transporter room. Here's what they should have done. Mm-hmm. I know this is what they could have done because it'd make it for a short, short episode. Just teleport him onto the planet for a few seconds and then get a signal back to Omaha. And then you just teleport him down to Omaha and then you get out of there and you don't worry about it. Yeah. But no, we're going to take him on a personal tour yep. of this place. Yep. I mean, 
he's the man of yesterday. And Missy, if you look in our Discord. (gasps) Do we have a reading? We have a little reading. And I would love for you to be our Captain Kirk. Okay. Getting it started. Boop, boop, boop. Boop, 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 boop. Welcome aboard the Enterprise. You speak English? That's right. You can step off the transporter. Captain John Christopher, United States Air Force, serial number 4857932. Relax, Captain. You're among friends. I'm Captain James T. Kirk. What's going on here? Where am I? What happened? You people, who are you? All in good time, Captain. Meanwhile, let me apologize for bringing you aboard the ship so abruptly, but it couldn't be helped. I didn't know that your craft couldn't stand up to our tractor beam. Don't give me any double talk. Just tell me who you are. We'll tell you what we decide to tell you in a few moments. In the meantime, relax. You're our guest. I have a feeling you'll find it interesting. And that's how they greet the man of yesterday. Mm -hmm. They're like, you might find this cool. Uh, (laughs) Man of yesterday brought into world of today. Pretty much, Kirk walks him personally uh, to the bridge, and as he's, like, walking through the halls, he sees a crew woman, and we get, like, that jazzy music, and he goes, a woman? And, like, Kirk is like, yes, she works here. (laughs) That was my first indication, because, like, that was definitely a comedy beat, and a comedy usage of, I'm like, wait a minute, are they? What are they? What's going on here? That seems a little out of, uh would be the word tonally uh not something we've heard in star trek yeah exactly because ron barry was just so like my horn blower my horn blower in space <laughs> captain horn blower these are sad military men <laughs> military men i didn't expect i mean you're not wrong to do that but i didn't expect a horatio horn blower reference in any one of these episode recordings Oh, yeah. No, that's what literally what they based Kirk off. Horatio Hornblower. Really? They did? They yeah. did? I yeah. had no clue. Yeah. I got to look up more Horatio Hornblower things. It's just right? so much fun to say Horatio Hornblower. Right. It, it, I, it, it's, you can't not have a smile after saying that alliteration. <laughs> Horatio Hornblower. His name is Hornblower. Hornblower. <laughs> oh, man. So on the bridge, Spock is like, yeah, we we destroyed that aircraft. Uh, they turn off the tractor beam and, you know, Kirk appears on the bridge with Christopher, um, who's admiring the size and complexity of the ship. Kirk's like, yeah, we have 12 in the whole fleet. <laughs> He's like so excited to show off his woman, a.k.a. Like the your, Enterprise. Your ship. It's very big. Ship. Mm-hmm. Mm. He freely admits he's from the future. He's like, yeah, you're in the future now. At some point, it was going to come up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as he's, like, walking onto the bridge, uh, Christopher goes, you know, I never have believed in little green men. And that's when we see Spock. And, like, he sees Spock, and Spock turns and says, neither have I. 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 It couldn't <laughs> believe it. Again, that's when I was like, yes, okay, not only is this time travel, this is comedy time travel. Yes. This is why in the 1984 one, they feel that they can get away with so yep. much comedy because yep. that that is what they did. Like, yeah. I we can't talk about the movie because there's just too many things I like from it, but just the paradoxes they get into mm-hmm. and the, does this person do this thing or that? 
you know, they, they try their best in, in this, what's, you know, they, they put everything back right and make sure they don't uh, change time. Whereas the movie, they have the great scene where Scotty gives the formula for an ultralight metal to someone back in yeah. time. And they're like, how do you know he invented it? And Scotty's answer is, how do you know he didn't? <laughs> Love Scotty. <laughs> um, so... Kirk's like, yeah, man of yesterday, walk around the bridge. Just don't touch anything. Have fun. So he fucking does. I mean, yo, oh, yeah. so would I. Like, everyone seems really nice to him. Uh, Uhura's, like, l- like holding back ecstatic laughter the whole show. Um, They're all watching him as, like, just a little novelty of, like, oh, look at the, look at the back of the past, too. man. He thinks... He thinks our computers are so small, even though, you know, they're still entire panels. Um, meanwhile, Spock is like, Captain, we can't put him back. You realize, like, we cannot put him back on Earth. He already knows too much about us. Yep. And he's learning more. Like, I don't know who this guy is, but he's an unscrupulous person. Time. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, I don't know who this guy is, but if he were an unscrupulous man, perhaps, like, he could do a lot of damage. Because they have Back to the Future in their future, Mm -hmm. and so they know Mm -hmm. this guy could be a biff. They're going like, oh, no, we know what to do in time travel. You don't change anything in the past. Exactly. I mean, he says it. He's like, he could manipulate key industries, stocks, even nations, and change what must be. Uh so he's like all right so kirk's like all right well first let's put captain christopher in some more comfortable clothes let's just put him in a uniform because i mean he is in like a jumpsuit uh it must not feel pretty good let's slip you into something more comfortable let's slip you into something and what's more comfortable just one of the standard starfleet outfits there's a great moment where like Christopher is standing next to Uhura and just is staring at Spock, like Spock not noticing that he's just like open jawed, like slack jawed, and Uhura is just like doing her best not to crack up. Well, and it's because I believe he's also touching his ear. Uh, uh, yeah, Christopher is, and so he's he's subconsciously touching his yeah. ear, looking at Spock's ears. Yeah, and Uhura just sees him do it and laughs at the three of it. And yeah, it, it, he then puts his hand down slowly. Yeah, like, he's Never like, mind. oh, <laughs> sorry, Saring is rude. I have not alien before. Uh, <laughs> um, so now we get into uh. My second favorite little part of the episode, Missy. Oh, yes. Would you like to be Captain Kirk again? I will. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm so sorry. I I read the first line and I know we're at. Yes, we were going to get into this. We were going to get into this. Okay, okay, okay. Computer on. Record. Recording. Gum is begging them to come in. Uh, Captain's log, supplemental. Oh, yes. Captain's log, supplemental. Engineering officer Scott informs warp engines damaged, but can be made operational and re-energized. Computed and recorded, dear. Computer, can you... Computer, you will not address me in that manner. Compute. Computed, dear. I will have it investigated, Captain. To correct the fault will require an overhaul of the entire computer system and a minimum of three weeks at a star base. I wouldn't mind so much if I didn't get so affectionate. 
it was it also has an unfortunate tendency to giggle uh christopher says i take it that the lady computer is not routine we put it in at SciGen 14 for general repair and maintenance SciGen 14 is a planet dominated by women they seemed to feel the ship's computer system lacked a personality they gave it one female of course well, you people certainly have interesting problems. I'd love to stay around and see how your girlfriend works out, but... Boom! Yep. I loved the seductive right for the captain, because for a split second I had to think of, like, Captain Kirk, what mm -hmm. setting did you put it on for yourself? Like... And I thought at first he was embarrassed because he's like, no, 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 don't go into quote captain's mode. Can you <laughs> not that one? Not that one. We have a, we have company. But then realizing, no, it just was like they literally did the femputer. Mm -hmm. Futurama again. Mm -hmm. It's a femputer, like because it's a female planet reengineered it. I couldn't believe it. Yep. And that's the femputer. That's the funniest fucking joke. And it was all DC Fontana inspired. Did did they get um, Major Garrett yes. to Major Barrett? Major yes. Barrett, yes. Yes, Major Barrett, who uh, of course is uh, Christine Chapel, Nurse Chapel, and uh, future wife of Gene Ronberry, as well as future roles as well on Next Gen. Um, and it's at this point that Kirk is like, "Yeah, Christopher, we cannot send you back to Earth." Yeah, we've 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 gotten poised. We've gotten past the point of return here now that you've yeah. heard the femputer. Sorry, yeah. you, cannot, you cannot go back and tell no. your buddies mm -mm. how in the future mm -mm. they're all trying to fuck their ships. Yeah, like we, we were going to send you back, but now, Spock, I don't know. Too uh, much. You've seen too, too much. much. Too much. Um, Christopher is like, so I just disappear from fucking history and it doesn't cause any problems. Like your logic's not logicking, but Spock is like, well, actually I did a Google. I did a really quick Google though. I did a cursory Google and you You're do nothing in history. You are so historically insignificant. It doesn't fucking matter what happens to you. Yeah, I couldn't believe the. That's a very Spock thing to do. Yeah. Like, you don't matter after all. So yeah, actually, we are going to do this. It's very logical for us too, because you, you, you know too much otherwise, and then you would become someone that's important. Exactly. Um, Christopher's freaking out. He's like, I have a wife and children, and Spock is like, children. Hmm. I should probably do a less cursory Google search. Yes, um, <laughs> I should. I should add add the family on there as well. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, but Kirk is like, I'm sorry. Like, we can't put you back because we're both military men, and I know that it's my duty to report what I've seen. Yep. What would you do if we put you back? And he's like, report what I've seen. I have to. Um, and he's like, I'm sorry. Like, I can't send you home. Like, Kirk is genuinely like, I'm a sorry. And that's when Scott calls to be like, hey, um, so we're going to have four more hours of engines, but we don't have anywhere to go because it's the 60s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and <laughs> Christopher's like, haha, neither of us get to go home now, bitch. Uh, yeah, suck it. Suck on it. And everything sucks everything sucks 
finally getting fed up with his computer. <laughs> Kirk is like trying to talk to it. He's like, computer, recommendation for disposition, dear. Oh. And he says, maintenance note, my recording computer has a serious malfunction. Recommend it either be corrected or scrapped. Compute? Oh, oh she goes, no. Computed. <laughs> Again, unhinged. Like, I thought shore leave was going to be like a, a certain level of craziness that we weren't going to see again. <laughs> and this is in this world. I mean, the time travel element is weird oh, and yeah. grounded. Like, oh, yeah. very much grounded. But there's stuff like this where they throw in. And you're like, okay, sure. Yep. <laughs> Computed. Mm. Um, Spock calls Kirk and he's like, Kirk, um, I have something really important to tell you about Christopher. Kirk yeah. is like, let's go to my quarters and let's call Captain Christopher. However, Christopher is not answering the calls. And Kirk's like, all right, security? We got to find this man from yesterday wandering around our ship without anyone watching him. We've got a runner. We've got a runner. Christopher is indeed trying to escape. He runs into security officer Bobby. I don't know why his name is Bobby, but in this script, it says his name is Bobby. And he has 50s face. He's our 50s faced guy. And I love that for him. Um, he Christopher takes him out basically uses the same moves that everyone in Star Trek does just double handed like punch to the back chop chop um and he grabs the phaser runs to the transporter room and is like send me back to the transporter chief but just then Kirk comes in behind him disarms Christopher and knocks him out in sick bay McCoy is like yeah uh this guy's fine superficial injuries um but you know we're probably as stuck as him <laughs> mccoy just, just to remind you all just to remind you all and we can't he's like mccoy's like we can't beam down the entire crew like i've been trying to think about this because i'm dr mccoy we can't beam down the entire crew it'll disturb the timeline them crossing the streams uh kirk however is like we're not in that situation and fuck i mean even if we get back to our time like this poor guy like we're the same age like i'm the same age as this guy but in our society he would be useless and mccoy's like we can just retrain him like he can learn a job and Kirk's like, now you're sounding like Spock. To which McCoy says, if you're going to get nasty, I'm going to leave. <laughs> Again, I love how often they burn each other by just saying, mm -hmm. yeah, you're acting like that one. And the three of them just in a circle all kind of go, go to ah, each other with that. Yep. Like, boo. Boo. Um, I am not just like my husband. I mean. <laughs> Basically. Uh, Kirk is like, can this guy, can we like make him forget his family like his children uh and i was like and of course christopher is like no i'll definitely remember them yeah, but he, i was he basically like, like pops around he's like uh excuse me no 
And I was like, I w- have we seen technology that would allow them to do that yet? And kind uh, of yeah, with we did. the Dagger they, of the Mind. Yes, yeah. I was just going to say, when we basically had the big giant neuralizer uh, mm-hmm. on the planet that existed. So, like, it's it's kind of, it's unethical, but it's out there. Yeah. So Spock comes to sickbay and is like, actually, we can't keep Christopher aboard because his son is going to be on the first manned space probe to Saturn in 2004, which is around the same time the Cassini, like, missile, like, not missile, but the Cassini space probe, which is an unmanned probe, was sent to Saturn. Oh, so this, okay, so they were just basing that and they were just guessing, like, oh, you know, your son is a part of this project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were entirely, like, guessing, but it just happened that we also sent something to Saturn at around the time that they said that a person was going to Saturn. NASA was like, who leaked our documents to Star Trek? Who dare? Who dare? Uh, But he's like, yeah, um, your son is going to go to Saturn. Christopher's like, I don't have a son. What are you talking about? And Kirk's like, yet? You don't have a son yet? And he's like, I'm going to have a son! He gets all starry-eyed. It's it's very cute. Uh, that was one of Justman's notes to DC Fontana. Um, that he's like, because at first she wrote, I'm, he said, I'm going to have a boy. And Justman was like, well, the word boy goes with man. But the word son goes with father. So it's just yeah. like a better word choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there were a lot of really cute notes going around during the writing of this episode. Uh, most of them just like, you know, to figure out what can and can't be done. But Justman at one point wrote a note like with like a critique or whatever and then said, also, Gene, um, please ensure, please make sure that your secretary ensures that this note does not get into the hands of the writer, the mysterious DC Fontana. <laughs> so it's very, very cute. <laughs> my God. I just, it just made my heart like grow three sizes. Uh, <laughs> and I just, I, I like imagining this really like sweet friendship between those like yeah. three people like Gene Kuhn, Justman and Roddenberry. And then we got DC Fontana. Like it just, it, you know, there were of course lots of issues, lots of personal prejudices, lots of the issues of the studio system. Um, but I think that that's pretty sweet thinking back on those times and pretending I'm working for Star Trek going into those like manual cutters with all the other women. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> those giant machines go shink, shink, shink. When they're back, when they were like, oh yes, editing's a woman's job because it's like sewing. Oh my God. <laughs> like, whatever gets me in the editing room, you know? <laughs> Men should never pick up scissors. Men shouldn't touch scissors. It's women's call off. Um, so they're in orbit of Earth. And Spock's like, all right, we have a couple problems. One, Christopher's plane wreckage landed uh, in southern Nebraska on land. So they're going to find a ship that has been torn apart by forces they do not understand. I could not handle Spock. <laughs> 
saying the phrase Southern Nebraska, especially right. hearing him talk about all these other scientific terms and other planets and alien species, just hearing him say, oh, the wreckage will have landed in Southern Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Just like, no, what? No, Spock. Spock, <laughs> what? No. Spock where, knows the where, 50 what? states. <laughs> um, and... And additionally, the search parties will know that he wasn't there. Like, they will find yes, no body. They will find important. no parts of a body. Like, they they already know that he wasn't in that ship. Also, Christopher is like, this radio, the radio conversation that, that I had was recorded. Like, the Air Force Base already has the record of me yes. calling in and saying what I saw. Um. So Kirk is like, I mean, usually, like, there were tons of UFO kooks back in that day. I mean, there were all sorts of reports of aliens. This will just go down in the annals. But Spock is like, well, given that there is no explicable explanation for what has happened, in addition to a destroyed Air Force plane and a missing body, they're probably gonna think it's real. Like they're it. Like they're gonna think it's real. Uh, and you know, it is illogically. I'm not saying they're wrong, but also they could just be like, I mean, the lieutenant obviously went crazy and then crashed his plane. Yeah, yeah. Like there's <laughs> well, a lot of had, things. There's more blips. There's a lot yeah. of different things that could be layered on there. It would go. Do you know what? That would be in the report. That they're trying to get released uh, right mm-hmm. now of all the different yeah. uh, sightings and things that have exactly. Happened. This guy, this Christopher, he's on the History Channel right now. Literally, yes. Like, <laughs> they finally they need to decommission the doc or uh, declassify the documents, and they need to let me know about my experience. There were men in space. They spoke English. No, One had Star pointed Trek. ears like an elf. Star Trek is real. It's so real. It's real. It's not a TV show. <laughs> and Captain Christopher's real name, Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> <laughs> so Kirk is like, all right, well, but like, can we go home? And Spock is like, maybe. But first, like, we need to destroy the evidence of our presence. We need to destroy all hard evidence that the Enterprise was here. And so that if Christopher is put back and reports and tells everyone what he sees, there is nothing to back him up. Yeah, they're basically having to cover their tracks in a multitude of ways, which is funny when you start to realize that it's all 1960s technology and so Mm -hmm. actually yes it would be incredibly easy to destroy all of the records of this thing happening exactly there's like three different things they have to destroy and it's gone no more there's no internet there's no cloud there's none of that exists (laughs) it doesn't go viral it just it just you know exists for that moment Mm -hmm. in time and space um christopher offers to help and he's like, well, here's where you're going to need to beam down inside the base to get the tapes of the recorded radio conversation. Um, at the base, Kirk and Sulu beam down and they walk around the base a little bit. They like see a cork board and point at it and do a little yeah, silent. Like, little huh. like uh, cork board. Isn't that interesting huh. before all the stuff went through a femputer? Look at all. 
this stuff. Like, you can just see Sulu looking around being like, ooh, a new hobby? A new old thing for me to become obsessed with and study? What kind of guns do they have here? Do they have any swords? Maybe swords? They see, like, a, a display of awards, and they yeah. get an amusement out of that, too, as well. Like, yeah. oh, look at their look at their little novelty awards with their cheap <laughs> fires on them. How, how quaint. Like, ooh, ooh, aircrafts, ooh. Um, so <laughs> they finally find the correct room, open up the door, and uh, they soon find the audio tapes. Kirk is like, oh, wow, look, a primitive computer. I've seen one in museums. I've seen these in museums, exactly. This made me laugh, because I've seen them in museums now. <laughs> I know, like, right? it's not that much farther in the future, and we're seeing them in museums. Sulu's great. He's like, me too. If this one's like those, it'll make the devil's own noise if you start it. <laughs> Kirk's like, I do not intend to turn on this computer. <laughs> Back on the Enterprise in the transporter room, another one of just McCoy being nervous and Spock being like sassy. Yeah. Which I love these little asides just throughout the episodes. McCoy is just like, how long have they been down there? And Spock's like, 15, five minutes. Eight, no, 15 minutes, 28 seconds. He knows exactly. And McCoy's like, shouldn't they be coming up? And Spock is like, well, I mean, stealth is hard. So it could take them time. And McCoy's like, shouldn't you be working on your time warp calculations, Mr. Spock? Like, he's just looking for anyone to bite at. McCoy is such a busybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Spock's just like, I am. Like, in my head. Like, Spock is doing them right now. He moves his head away from looking at uh, McCoy to just looking at, like, it's space. The wall. Just doing calculations (laughs) on the wall. It's like, you're so nervous about something, you're interrupting the one person doing work. And I like that um, McCoy has a look about him and goes, oh, just sort of, like, relents and is like, all right, Spock, you weirdo. you, You got me this time, Vulcan. Um, back on the base, Sulu and Kirk have finished getting the tapes. They're sort of pulled it out of its big machine when a sergeant, a police security guy, a staff sergeant enters. He's like, give me your belts in the bag with the tapes inside. Um, on the ship, Spock is like, you know what? I think it has been too long. I think we should just beam up anyone. Uh, so the sergeant... (laughs) This is also a great moment of just, like, the Enterprise crew gaslighting people of the past. Oh, my fucking God. That is, it's so <laughs> hilarious. Where they're just like, no, no, we're not, you no, don't, don't, we don't need to know. We're not important. Don't you know. don't need to do, put no. us in your records. Like, no, just don't no. do it. They're all like, yes, No, just do. don't do it. Yes, just don't do. do it. But, so the captain grabs one of their communicators and it starts beeping because Spock is calling. And the sergeant what's says, what's, what's that? And Kirk's like, what do you mean? What, what what's what, what? i don't understand it's beeping louder Sergeant's now like, it's this thing on your belt he's like the noise like there's a noise happening and sulu's like i don't hear anything i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> um and that's when he opens up the communicator because he's like it's coming from this opens it up and immediately gets beamed up to the Enterprise. They're like, oh, he touched the emergency signal button. Yeah. Like, now we know what this means. Like, okay. They're just basically looking at him being like, you're about to just be in a world of something you do not understand. Yep. Yep. He is beamed up 
And just appearing is this guy, like, still with his, like, gun in his hand and the communicator in the other, frozen solid yes. from shock and fear. Uh, <laughs> You're like, what's he doing? Uh, I don't think we need to put him under detention. He's not planning on going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> yep. Like... Kirk is like, you have a surprise package uh, from the Air Force Base. And you might want to keep him in the transporter room so he doesn't see stuff. And Spock's like, yeah, no, he's satisfied to remain where he is. Like, he has not moved. McCoy walks over to him and just plucks the gun and the communicator from his hands. And the guy does not move. He just looks nope, terrified. He stop it. He's just like, hi, okay, thank you. Like, uh... Same pose. Like, it's fantastic. So... Now that Kirk and Sulu have gotten the tapes, they're like, sweet. Now we just need the photographs of the Enterprise. Let's find those dark that dark room. <clears throat> they find a dark room. They see the freshly developed movie film of the Enterprise. But they set off a silent alarm and a bunch of people come. Security officers walk in. Oh, shit. And they fight. Period. They fight. Yes, well, they fight. Kirk fights. Kirk fights these guys. Sulu is in the other room, like, finishing up the darkroom shit. And finally, they they capture Kirk. They, like, get him. Because there's three or four of them. And they're like, where's the other guy? And Kirk's like, what other guy? Once again, gaslighting same, people same in the past. again. The what? Who? I, uh, I don't know who you're talking about. Girl, I don't know her. Lose this number. Yeah, no, there's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, because Sulu has beamed back aboard the ship by this time in the other room, um, as he should have. So they're like questioning Kirk. They're like, no, I swear, I just saw another person. And Kirk's like, no, no, it was just me. Besides, like, could anyone really get out of here without you seeing them? Yeah. <laughs> the guy's like, you're yeah. right. I am pretty sharp. <laughs> so, uh... I have now this other wonderful little bit, and I would love to invite you to be Mr. Fellini. Now, after we talk about uh, Colonel Fellini, we're mm-hmm. going to have to talk about something else about them. Mm-hmm. Now, look, mister, you and I had better start communicating. I want to know how you got in here. That's a simple question. Give me a simple answer. Nobody saw you. You got all the way inside without tripping any alarm. How did you do it? Believe me, Colonel, you wouldn't believe me. Don't try to be funny. How did you get in? I popped in out of thin air. You seem to think this is some kind of game. No, Colonel, I know it's no game. I'll have it disassembled and examinated. We are not dummies, mister. We know how to find out things we want to know. What is that? Is that a uniform of some kind? This little thing? Just something I slipped on. Kirk, maybe you don't realize how serious this is. This is. Sabotage of a government installation? Did I sabotage something? No, we stopped you in time. But what would you have done if we hadn't had found you? Believe me, Colonel, nothing at all. Is that what you're here for? Nothing at all? That's what would have happened if you hadn't interfered. Oh, right, Kirk. Maybe this will make you laugh. Sabotage. 
espionage, unauthorized entry, burglary. How are those for starters? And I can think of lots more if you don't start talking. All right, Colonel. The truth is, I'm a little green man from Alpha Centauri. Beautiful place. You ought to see it. I am going to lock you up for 200 years. That ought to be just about right. So when I saw Colonel Fellini, my brain does that thing that it does, which is similar to when we make you play who, who do they look like. But for me, it was, who is this actor? Because I know them, and they're triggering a very specific scene. And I feel like we're of a generation where there was a seminal film that we saw growing up, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Now, are you familiar with Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Emily? I am. Now. Is he the guy in the tunnel who's like, you should spy for me, child? No, he is not um, uh, Slugworth. Uh, I almost said Slughorn. (laughs) He's not Slugworth. (laughs) He's in one scene. Mm -hmm. But it's a scene that replays in my head every once in a while because I cannot believe this scene exists. (laughs) In a children's movie. What people forget about that is the entire first half of that film, the setup and lead into Charlie going to the factory, is just people's lives. And it focuses on just like the Wonka sensation and like what people will do for it. And there's a very funny scene where it's an FBI agent played by this actor and a <gasps> woman. And he's like, all right, we got the uh, offer for your husband's uh, life. And they uh, tell us what they want. She's like, what is it? Anything. I'll do anything. All I want is my husband back. It's your case of Wonka bars. (gasps) Did you hear me, Mrs. Davis? It's your husband's life or a case of Wonka bars. How long will they give me to think about it? Ah! And that scene, just he plays the Ah! FBI investigator, but just those few lines of, it's your Wonka bars. Did you hear that? It's your husband's life or a case of Wonka bars. How long would they give me to think about it? Like, oh my God, I just can't believe he's that guy. And I couldn't believe in the middle of this episode, I had the residents to be like, nope, I know. Because he, he's not mm-hmm. that much older. That movie would have only been yeah. a few years after this. So that's where it was just so iconic. And and he lives in my head. A lot of people might know him from other stuff. He was on Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley. He did like one episode guest uh, roles throughout. Ed Peck is this actor's name. Ed Peck. Ed Peck. But yeah, so okay. uh, Colonel Fellini, one of those people who lives rent-free in Missy's head. Yeah! I love it. Um, yes. So uh, back in orbit, Spock and Christopher are like, all right, the captain is most probably being interrogated by Fellini right now. Um, and Christopher's like, I need to come down with you for this rescue operation because I know where everything is on the base like i can give you the proper coordinates um he's basically he's essentially being like i'll turn over government secrets to you no big deal yeah and to be fair he's he's seen the future he knows what uh, what's happening like he he's got to kind of go with them true um so spock is like all right sure like i kind of trust you but only a certain amount and they get some phasers sent to maximum stun to go save the captain They beam down, and the security policeman who was beamed up earlier is absolutely amazed because he's still standing in the transporter room. Oh, yeah. Just standing there. 
Uh, Transporter Chief Kyle is like, are you hungry? And he's like, sure. Uh, like, just dazed. And he's like, what do you want? And he's like, Ch- chicken soup? And he uses, like, Kyle uses one of those floppy disks yeah, to, like, like, synthesize. Oh, like, pre-floppy disk, even. Like, yeah. just oh, like, yeah. a computer like a little, little drive. block card. Black. You shove it in and, like, you know, soup is created and the guy tastes it. And he's like, oh, my God, it's chicken soup. It runs the soup programming that they have on mm-hmm. the computer. On the surface, uh, Spock takes out the two guards, holding Kirk, freeing him. However, while Sulu and Kirk are talking, Christopher gets one of their guns and is like, great, like you guys can go home, but I am staying here because this is my home. Yeah. And I will report everything I've seen. I have to. Um, Thankfully... Because Spock did not trust this man. He had walked out of the room so that he could come up behind Christopher and give him a ner- nerve pinch. Vulcan nerve pinch. He did, well, I think he even says, that they make it the joke of, you know, you're going to take me uh, over my dead body. And then zoop, just gets a nerve pinch. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, they all beam up and they're like, all right, now we need to figure out how to get back to our time and get the two people back to where they are without remembering anything. Yeah. Mr. Spock is like, all right, we got to use the slingshot effect again. Theoretically, we can whiplash ourselves around the sun's gravity into another time warp. Christopher is like, and what are you going to do about us? And Spock is like, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to go into the relative past, like when we're just a day ago, we're going to put you back into your bodies where you were a day ago before you saw the Enterprise. And there will be nothing for you to report because in your minds, nothing will have happened. Okay, sure. And I like that it has to be timed to such precision where it mm-hmm. is the moment they left because if yeah. they did it like a second earlier, it would be matter on top of matter, which I feel like would just cause them both to explode. Right. Whereas if they do it, you know, a second after, it's like, oh no, will the will the plane start to descend? And so they'll teleport into the wrong place in time and space. Who knows the consequences? So yeah, they just get, and they, the way that they measure it is off of just like a time odometer. It's probably called like a, t- a timeometer or something like that. Chronometer. Chronometer. That's right. They do, so call it, they do call it the chronometer. I forgot. <laughs> they have a name for it. Yeah. And it's just like little ma- manual dials that go from zero to like nine. Just click, 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 yep. click. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. So they rocket towards the sun. Their time warp factor is increasing. The chronometers are moving backwards. Christopher gets into his flight gear and goes to the transporter room uh, and they beam him back into his plane cockpit. Uh, There's no longer an Enterprise in the sky. Mm -mm. So he's just kind of like, huh, I don't see anything. I guess I'm going home. Uh, They beam down the guard and he too is just like, huh, no suspicious activity here. And then as they begin to approach their own century, they begin breaking and everyone starts flying around the Enterprise because we don't oh have God. any seatbelts in the future. The, the camera a great just shot. makes a huge tilt. Yep. 
There's a great shot of Scotty like grabbing something in the engineering room. Yeah, and they're gonna the reuse that just shot slam a bunch against of times. The wall. Yep, yep, we're gonna see that a lot. Um, and that's when they approach their own century. They manage to make a co- safe and complete stop, and then they hear the friendly voice of Starfleet Fleet Control. Enterprise. And Kirk reports that the Enterprise, it's home. Home. Da 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 da. Fun fact. Da 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 do. Uh, my one fun fact that I have here is that Roger Perry, who of course played John Christopher, he liked his Starfleet uniform so much he almost stole it from the set. Oh my god, I, he should have. He yeah, DeForest Kelly have. told him to. I uh, oh, DeForest Kelly is so right. Yeah, like, he's literally. like, just put it in your bag and yeah. take it. They're not going to notice. No, they have and, they have a hundred of yeah. these that they have to make. Yeah, he decided not to, but later he's like kicked himself hella hard he's like i should have stole it should have stolen it should have stolen it he was right they wouldn't have missed it yeah but yeah that is tomorrow is yesterday our first fully original script from dc fontana future story editor of star trek our first semi-hilarious comedic episode uh and just a really cute one that i really like i always forget about it like when i'm thinking just because it feels like such a small story but it's a really cute fun one and it's just a shame to forget about the femme pewter sometimes i don't think i'm ever gonna forget this episode yeah it's just it's just too much uh oh the one other thing i wanted to mention was something I did not bring up about last week's episode, Arena and the Gorn. Oh. So we talked about how the Gorn was sort of represented in that episode, like a person who is misunderstood. Like yes. the question is, were they defending their territory from us who they perceive to be invaders as we attack them uh, for perceiving them to be invaders? Well, in Strange New Worlds, uh, they bring the Gorn back as fucking like alien monsters like the alien from like alien versus predator they are so fucking scary they eat humans like that's their like a main diet is like om nom nom humans which explains a little bit more why they have the initial distrust like they just brought mm -hmm. the two two enemies truly together oh my god um so I think that's kind of fun. It definitely changes the meaning of that episode. Mm-hmm. Like knowing that like, no, the Gorn are actually just bad. Like you can't reason with them. They want to farm us like cows. Um, but I just thought that was interesting and funny because they are so fucking scary in the future. Terrifying. Speaking of the future, uh, this Back to the Future episode mm-hmm. is so high shelf, so top tier, yes! so amazing. I, yes! w- uh, we have to stop and just acknowledge the Futurama episode and talk a little bit yes. more about some of the things in that where yes. I love that it is the same thing about like slingshotting around the sun. Missy, and- 
you have no fucking idea. You're like talking about that episode. This is the episode where they end up what on Amazonia. No, uh, that's not that episode. There is a separate oh, episode on Amazonia with the femputer. With a femputer. That is one specific plot line. Oh, this is okay. where they go back in time and Fry becomes his own grandpa because he sleeps oh, with his grandma yes. in World War II. That's, I think, also why yes. I thought it was maybe World War II to begin with. Uh, yeah. Or Roswell, I guess. It's not. It's post-World War II um, because that's what Futurama did. But this all yes. just goes to the 60s and it's parallel in there. But yeah, I just lost my mind. So I was totally <laughs> into this. It was funny. Yes. I think it was some of the strongest character mm-hmm. usage of, the, of yes. what we know of these main people, even Sulu, I thought was so mm-hmm. well written. Um, when you're right, like a lot of his stuff before, like we we got to see them all have their fun sides. And yeah. this was an episode where I, I the actress must have had fun doing it because oh, yeah. it gave him a chance to, like Kirk, it gets to be so, I'm trying to think of the word, cavalier. He gets to be like one of the people that's in on the Noah, even though he doesn't know, like, okay, some of the things he gets to like. Be this one of the smarter ones and relax. He's not yeah. in a is he's not in a super life threatening stick situation. Like in terms of yeah. when they're like, oh, we can't get back or we can't be here. It's not like oh the sh- and now the ship's gonna blow up. Like mm-hmm. they're like, well, worst comes to worst, we're stuck in the past and we're gonna have to deal with that when it comes to it. But I just like that Kirk is able, yeah, to like be funny and we get to see mm-hmm. some of that snark that they layer into Shatner's performances a lot mm-hmm. later. And I'm thinking of the movies. I don't know how much it leaks into the TV series. Yeah. But I, yes, this was so well done. This was, I, I didn't realize I needed this because they've played with humor in the past. Like obviously Shore Leave has mm-hmm. a ton of humor in it, but it's more like whimsical. It's more of yeah. humor of being like, oh, look at these weird situations that were being had. And it's not like, here is a joke set up beat. Here is like a actual comedy beat where we we're crafting this only for a punchline. It's not just like Mm -hmm. a Marvel. Oh, they said something humorous, you know, while they did something, you know, it is just like moments that were set up for it. And again, I didn't think this was going to be the episode to do it. I didn't think that a time travel episode was going to be ha ha tee funny, but, and the fact that they're even like, Oh yeah, this is the time where lots of people saw UFOs. There, there were cranks everywhere. It's totally fine. No one's gonna believe yeah, them. Like the fact no that even notice. then, like Captain Kirk can be like, no, 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 no. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Like no, no, no. No one's gonna believe them. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> we just gotta figure out the like, right time yeah. and place to slip him in there and make sure that he's not gonna f it up. Which is right? hilarious because then essentially everything they did to make sure they weren't caught did not matter because they yep. just went back in time. Yep. And they made it so that none of the things none of ever happened. happened. Yeah, exactly. So, so like, oh, there wouldn't have been. This. So us going down to the planet and the guy and the guy seeing us the second time, which is funny because when they returned to the first person, I guess they did have to return to the second person, but it just is funny because then the first person wouldn't have reported it, which then meant yeah. that the second guy wouldn't be down there because Kirk and them wouldn't have landed to get the yeah, first so guy there down there. So it's just a really funny series of events suspicious where you're like, to... but you know yeah. what? It's just easier. <laughs> shut, sh- yeah. We'll just get a scene of both of them down there because it's just a still shot. Uh, they freeze it and then they put a little whoop, 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 whoop effect over them on there. Mm-hmm. They're not like inserting them in yep. the frame. They're just putting it 
over the already frozen person. It, it's just great. So yeah. This, this episode saved them so it saved them like a good chunk of money in terms of effects shots. Oh, I can um, believe it. The original one, like, uh, you probably saw the the like refurbished version but in the original one when they're slingshotting around the sun there isn't even a sun in the shot it's just the enterprise like wobbling in darkness no, that's what it kind of looks like it's just wobbling yeah uh, and what i also find funny is that when they're on their way to the sun they're just using like a generic space traveling thing so they're like yeah there's like stars and planets and other stuff that distance wise seem to be moving like they're pretty close, but are impossible mm-hmm. to be on the path to the way of the sun because it's just within mm-hmm. our solar system. It's within our solar system. And I don't like the sky would be changing that much with things that close, but whatever, you know, I, they made it look cool enough. Yeah. You're right. And the little red faded lights on the Enterprise when it's going from reverse, mm-hmm. where they put it on the front part versus the back part and just have the model yeah. go, woo, wiggle, 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 wiggle. Yeah. I, this whole episode was a treat, yeah, front to back, and the performances were good. You know, of the supporting oh, yeah. actors too. You know, every one of them played it very straight, which let mm-hmm. the the crew be some of the comedy. Um, yeah, I hope I, I hope we get more episodes like this. Mm-hmm. And you know, we will uh, because there's just going to be more DC Fontana coming up Yay. with some of my very very favorite episodes, um, Missy. What do you think is going to happen in next week's episode, Court Martial? I'm going to take, oh wow, see, I normally am able to kind of surmise from the episode title what it might be about, but I Mm -hmm. think. From Court Martial, what do you think? Okay, It's really playing it close to the chest. I'm going to go on a wild limb and say mm-hmm. there might be a trial because mm. it says court in it. Now, mm-hmm, here's mm-hmm, the twist. Mm-hmm. You're going to be like, okay. oh, you know, Supreme Court, Federal Court, County Court. No, no, no. Marshall. This is Marshall Court. So it's military court. I So okay. we are basically going to see a few good men. Oh, Okay, a few good men in space. I want a few good I men like in space. That. I want I want a proto Sorkin from this era to write the legal <laughs> the legal uh, defense case thriller. Uh, that is it. And you know what, Kirk and Cruz they sometimes got the same energy going. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. The difference is, I get why William Shatner. I I still don't one hundred percent get why Tom Cruise. I get it better, right? but not one hundred percent. Right. Like, even after watching Minority Report again, I'm just like, huh. Why? I've not even Why seen, him? I've Why do they want to fuck one. him? It's a good movie. It's really good. Um, I think yeah. I think to myself, why do people want to fuck him? But then other people yeah. tell me I look a bit like him. So maybe mm. it's just self-hate somehow. Like, I see too much of myself in Tom. No, you still have a soul behind your eyes. Oh, that's the nicest compliment <laughs> anyone has paid me this year. Thank you so much, Emily. I do have a soul behind my eyes. I hope you can believe that. The more and more I say it, the we more and more what? people will think it's actually true. <laughs> but next week, we're going to court. We're going to court. Space Here comes court. The judge. Here comes the judge.
space court. But this is so unfair. We just had a court martial not too long ago. That is true. That is very true. But that one was Um, fake. This one, hella real. Okay. So that's going into the the prediction. Yes, that this is a martial court. court. Hella real. Yes, that it's not some sort of setup or like a plan. It is an actual. And I'm assuming. Here's the interesting Hmm. thing. I wonder Hmm. if it will be brought against Kirk or Kirk has Hmm. to defend someone in the court. That's my question. Okay. I like that. I like that. Good question. Very good question. I feel like it's likely that Kirk is going to be on the defense. Okay. We're putting, is, will Kirk be up on that stand? Will Kirk Next face week? the execution chair? Do they have capital punishment in Star Trek future? I'm going to guess no. It seems like something um, they would have gotten rid of at that point. Yeah, they seem to have, like, they talk a lot about penal colonies. That's um, true. <laughs> and w- at one point they mentioned colonies. that, like, they just drop people off on empty planets if they're bad enough. But then they rewrote that so that it wouldn't be the case because that's in fucking sane. I mean, that is essentially like, executing them. Yeah. With extra yeah. steps. Yeah. Um, well, actually, fewer steps because you're just dropping them off on a planet and saying, see ya. Boy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, next week, Missy, will we be on the stand? We don't know. But until then, we're going to live long. We're going to prosper. I realize this is, I hope, I hope that when they make an oath, and Spock has to make an oath that he does the live long and prosperous symbol when he puts his hand up and he just has his fingers split. I solemnly swear to live long and prosper. Prosper. (laughs) This is a complete side note and it probably will just make it at the end where I put all the funnies. Um, Because I'm not sure if this is, I'm not sure if this is true or not. I think the computer that inspired the term computer bug is in Iowa. I think it's an Iowa supercomputer that was done at Iowa State University. I know we had one of the first prototype supercomputers here. Mm-hmm. I've heard that's the one where that comes from, but I don't want to stop and Google it right now. So I just I just found I just had to mention I that, love that. in my brain where it was like, yeah, I've seen stuff like that. Oh yeah, because I've seen that specific computer. Yeah, oh, I've yeah. seen the bug computer. Um 